Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is Thanks for Reading, and I'm your host, Chris Unger. Today, I have an incredible treat for you. I'll be talking to Chris Cluey, and if that name sounds familiar, you might recognize him from his career in the NFL, including his eight seasons with the Minnesota Vikings, which I believe you set numerous records, didn't you, Chris? Yes, most of the team records for punting. (laughs) (laughs) But we're not here to talk football. Uh, Chris is actually a fantastic writer, and we are going to talk about that career, as well as his latest sci-fi book, Otaku, that is out in paperback now. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So for starters, for listeners who aren't familiar with you, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, about where you're from, your background in education, and how you got to where you are now. Sure. Yeah. So um, I grew up in uh, Southern California, Um, was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but my parents moved when I was like three months old. So (laughs) for all intents and purposes, I'm a Southern California kid. Um, Went to uh, UCLA for college uh, on a full ride scholarship for um, for punting for football and then uh, was fortunate enough to play for the Minnesota Vikings for eight years um, as their punter. And as you mentioned, set numerous team records, <laughs> which, uh, which was I exciting. Feel like that's, I feel like that's something you're allowed to bring up and just weave that into any conversation. <laughs> right? It's, yeah, yeah, that's my name in the in the team record book. But um, yeah, no, and then um, I've always, uh, always really enjoyed reading books. Um, I've been a huge sci-fi fantasy nerd uh, pretty much my entire life. I um, love playing video games, tabletop games, um, collectible card games, you name it. Like I've <laughs> probably played it. And uh, yeah, and then I transitioned into uh, writing books um, near the end of my NFL career. And now that I'm retired uh, from from the NFL, um, that's kind of what I do. Um, I wouldn't say I spend a ton of time at it, (laughs) but it's definitely something I enjoy doing. And and I would definitely like to publish more books. Right. And and, uh, I know you are the kind of stay at home dad now, right? Yep, get to take care of uh, both my daughters. Um, I'm also a soccer coach. I get to <laughs> get to coach my my younger one in uh, AYSO. And uh, then the player I help becomes the, the coach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I've been helping out at the uh, the local high school as the uh, special teams coach for the freshman football team. So that's been pretty exciting. That is super cool that you're able like you're able to be really involved in the in with family stuff, school stuff, like the community, and then you're also writing when you get the chance to. Yep. Yeah. It uh, keeps my days busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned briefly there that you are a big reader and I'm pretty sure I recall, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, are you stopping into my specific Barnes and Noble and, and perusing the sci-fi fantasy section? Uh, so where did your love of reading come from and uh, what draws you to sci-fi fantasy so much? Um, so I've always been a very fast reader in that, like, usually it takes me about two, two to two and a half hours to read like a 300, 350 page book. I'm so jealous. Yeah. Like I can just tear through books (laughs) and and I don't know what it is, but I've just, I've always been able to do it. And so like, I really enjoy reading a lot. And my parents always had a lot of books around the house. Um, so growing up, a lot of them were like the, uh, the old Encyclopedia Brown books, you know, the Hardy Boys, um, I think some of the, was it, um, 
Tom Swift. Is that what it was? That, that um, sounds right to me. Yeah, and... I think so. Like, you know, kind of those classic, like, 60s, 70s, 80s. And then they they also had a bunch of, um, like, the early uh, fantasy um, books. So uh, The Hobbit, obviously, was there, Lord of the Rings. Um, the David Eddings books, um, the Belgariad, the uh, Malorian, um, kind of, you know, the, the epic sprawling fantasy series, uh, Robert Jordan, Eye of the World. So those, those were, you know, I kind of grew up reading those and I just, I really enjoyed the idea of like these, you know, fantastic worlds that, that you could have adventures in and, you know, and there, there'd be heroes and, you know, they, they'd go out and try to do the right thing. So yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, just kind of, kind of, kind of called to me. <laughs> Which is funny that you, some of those, uh, those series like Hardy Boys and stuff, because even I grew up interested in those and they are still in print today even which just shows that how kind of universally appealing they are uh and i'm also super impressed that as a kid you were like reading things like the hobbit and just stuff that to even to me as an adult it seems uh mm-hmm. intimidating <laughs> yeah it's well so so my parents never like had any restrictions on books like it would just be whatever you know whatever book you want to read you can read and then if I didn't understand a word or something you know I'd either ask them or I'd go look it up in the dictionary and um yeah it was I, I think the only series so as a kid I tr- the only series I bounced off of was uh the foundation series by Asimov uh, like I just for whatever reason I just it it did not make sense to me but then I went <laughs> back to it later on as an adult I'm just like wow this is really good <laughs> like I re- really enjoy the you know psychohistory and like as, as a history major and poli sci major I'm like this really speaks to me <laughs> so yeah I'd, I'd highly recommend if you bounce off something as a kid like give it a shot later on because you, you might have a little bit more context for where it's coming from mm-hmm. now you you said that your parents really didn't give you any restrictions on on reading material is that something that you exercise as a parent today oh yeah for sure like i um i i've told my kids like all the books that we have in in our library like they're more than welcome to read and i've actually been trying to recommend some of the um uh, terry pratchett books uh to my older daughter because i feel like those those are great to you know get a get a kid kind of interested in reading because like unfortunately you know Pratchett has passed away but he he was I think one of the greatest satirists I've ever read like just in terms of being able to identify the human condition and kind of lovingly pointing out the flaws and and greatness of of what it means to be human and so yeah no anything that's on the shelf um for example my my younger daughter uh, she's read Otaku. Uh, she's reading it through the second time. And so like, part of me is kind of like, well, I wrote some really violent scenes in there and there's a lot of swearing, but at the <laughs> same time, eh, she can handle it. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, since, since like uh, banning books and stuff is so much in the news right now. And I was actually just talking to some of my colleagues at the bookstore today about, about that. It's, um, you know, where if a book gets banned because, oh, it has a naughty word in it, uh, mm-hmm. it's like, where do you think the kids pick up their language anyway? Like, they're going to come home right. with, with the, you know, learning those words somewhere from somebody. Uh, I don't think the the book is to blame for that. Uh, yeah, that's, well, and that's actually something I talked about in um, in Sparkle Ponies, the, the first book I wrote, Beautifully Unique Sparkle Ponies. It was one of the essays where um, kind of pointing out the difference between there's a difference between using bad words and a difference between like evil ideas. 
And so like, if your idea is evil and it's cloaked in civility, that doesn't make it good. <laughs> like just, just because you use nice words around it doesn't hide the evilness at the core of it. So, you know, something like racism, something like bigotry, something like homophobia, like those, you can, you can dress those up as much as you want. There's still an evil idea. And conversely, when someone responds to that with swearing or anger, like that's fine. <laughs> you should respond to that <laughs> with swearing or anger because it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm, as you were talking about that, I, I, uh, that particular essay started to kind of come back to me where you, like you, you think about how, um, you know, someone gives this really intelligent, you know, they could be say, saying something really bigoted and they could say it in this really intelligent way and it just and because of the words that they use it kind of um makes it seem reasonable because they use right. nice words but really yeah. when you look at what they're actually saying it's actually horrible and uh, damaging you know uh yeah that, so that's a good one and and that's something i'm trying to teach my kids is like you know don't don't look at what words are being used in an argument or an essay look at what's actually being said like what's the fundamental underlying idea that's trying to be conveyed here and is it a good idea is it a bad idea is it a, an idea that we should debate about because if you if you can't see through the surface layer to what's actually being said then you you're, you're going to run into some issues in life gosh i love this this is already just uh I feel like I'm getting such wisdom here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> it feels good. I'm a little too tall to be Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know uh, we're primarily going to talk about your more recent book, Otaku, but I feel like we, and we're already starting to talk about um, your collection of essays, Beautifully Unique Sparkle Ponies. Uh, which centers around your outspoken support for marriage equality for the for LGBTQ people. Now, how did you become so involved in that cause? And uh, how did you kind of put together a whole book? I mean, you talk about a lot of things in in Sparkle Ponies, but um, obviously the the kind of the the hook is the your kind of LGBTQ support. So how kind of mm -hmm. how did you get kind of involved and um, become such an outspoken person in that field. Yeah, so um, the the main reason I became so outspoken on that was in, um, was it 2012? Yeah, I think it was 2012. Um, when uh, Minnesota, in Minnesota, they were, um, there was a group trying to propose a constitutional amendment that would have banned same-sex marriage. And um, a, an opposing group, um, Minnesotans for Marriage Equality, they had contacted me um, through social media and they're like, hey, we, you know, we see your Twitter feed, we see the stuff you talk about, would you be interested in, you know, trying to help defeat this, this constitutional amendment? And I was just like, yeah, I, I will help you <laughs> defeat this constitutional amendment, because I don't think enshrining discrimination into a state's constitution is really a great idea. <laughs> like, that's, it's not what we should be doing as society. And so, um, at first, it was like, I wouldn't say there were a lot of people paying attention to it. And then I wrote a, um, an essay that uh, Deadspin published called They Won't uh, Magically Turn You Into a Lustful Cock Monster, <laughs> where, <laughs> where I kind of took a, uh, a Maryland state senator to task for his um, A, First Amendment violation, and then B, his human rights ignorance in terms of trying to, to you know, keep gay people from enjoying the same rights as everyone else. And that went pretty viral. 
so that that's where kind of like I became known for for speaking out on on LGBTQ rights and and for me it's always been like I I will say growing up like I had to learn right how to how to speak out on human rights and and even how to understand human rights because like I'm I am a tall white heterosexual man like it's I have the world on easy mode like there, there is, there's no easier thing to be. <laughs> and so, you know, growing up with that privilege, like you have to learn how to identify that privilege, right? And then you have to learn to examine your own, you know, preconce preconceived notions about how the world works. And so I'm not going to say I was perfect growing up. Like I grew up in the eighties and nineties. I mean, there, there were multiple times growing up where, you know, I would use homophobic language because I didn't understand how it hurt the people around me. But then as I grew older, I was like, wait a minute, why am I using these words? Like, why, why would I cause distress to these people when that's not what I wanted to do? That's not the person that I want to be. And there's plenty of other perfectly good swear words out there <laughs> that I can use. And you, I feel like you have, you have created some really great ones and some yeah. great <laughs> strings of words. Right. Like, like get creative about it. Like you don't, you don't need to be bigoted or homophobic or racist if you want to convey a swear word. <laughs> like mm -hmm. there's, there's so many other ways you can do that. And the thing is, is that if you do use bigoted or racist or homophobic language, then that's a choice that you are making. You know, whether you are aware of it or not, that is a choice that you are making because you can use other words. And so, yeah, um, when Minnesotans for Marriage Equality approached me, I was, I was like, yeah, like I've never really, you know, taken a public stand on this, but I've always felt, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't treat other people the way you wouldn't want to be treated. Right. Like it's, if, if I want to be free to live my own life, other people have to have that same freedom. Because if I'm the one being oppressed, I would want someone to speak out for me. And so if I'm the one who's able to say something when other people are being oppressed, well, then I better well say it <laughs> because otherwise how can I expect someone to speak out for me? Right. Uh, and that really goes off of something that I believe is just an absolute core belief is that good readers make empathetic people. And it sounds mm -hmm. like, it, like you growing up uh, with kind of, no no railings on what you can and can't read um being a a good uh a good reader allowed you to build empathy with characters and apply that to real life so mm -hmm. i think that's uh that's something that i strongly believe so that's why i love working in a bookstore and helping people yep. uh <laughs> find more books to read so they can connect with other people and like read different experiences but uh I well I, I think that's also one of the great things about science fiction and fantasy is that you have all these stories where there there's heroes right where it's like you there are people who you know who do the right thing even when it comes at personal cost and it's like and I know not everyone's always going to do that but if you want to model your behavior like that's that's not a bad model to pursue, <laughs> right? Like, like if, try to be the hero. I mean, and yeah, sure, sometimes it sucks. It makes life harder. But I've, I've always felt, you know, if, if, if it was easy, then everyone would be doing it. Like, it, the, reason, the reason why it's hard is because, like, to, and I'm not saying, like, I am a hero, but, like, that is, you know, consciously something I do try to, to, to take after, right? Like, what would the hero do? Right. Like what what would they do when faced with a difficult situation? And generally it means sacrificing yourself to try to make life better for other people. 
And I, I think that is something that society needs more of is, is understanding why that's important and understanding that, yeah, even if you have to pay a cost, then, you know, pay the cost because you would want someone else to pay that cost for you. And, you know, that's a perfect segue because that made me think, uh, I seem to recall uh, when you became more involved, uh, you got into a little bit of hot water at your job with the yeah. Minnesota Vikings, <laughs> right? Yeah. NFL is a little regressive. <laughs> uh, do, do you care to, to mention uh, a little bit about what happened there? Like, were you mm -hmm. reprimanded or did they kind of just tell you to keep quiet or... Yeah, so when, when that article went viral, um, it was uh, basically my special teams coach really was not on the same wavelength as me. And then um, my head coach, also not on the same wavelength, but I think for him, it was more a, a matter of, hey, I don't want to have to answer questions about this. So just, you know, shut up and stop talking about it. <laughs> Whereas my, my special teams coach was like legit had problems with, you know, with gay rights and so, yeah, I ended up getting uh, cut by the Vikings the next year, um, even though my, my stats were the same <laughs> as they'd been the previous, previous eight years. And I was like, okay, well, that, that seems kind of weird. Um, and yeah, then I couldn't, I couldn't get a, a job with any, any of the other teams in the, in the NFL. I, I had a chance with the Raiders during the preseason during 2013, uh, got beat out by Marquette King, um, who he, he's a phenomenal punter. Like I, I have no... <laughs> <laughs> like I legit got beat out there. It was they, if you're they gonna lose right out, you might as well lose to the best, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. No. He 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 had a very good season that year, and then he played really well for for another, I think, like three or four years after that. Um, but yeah, then I had a couple other tryouts, and um, after uh, after one in Cincinnati, it, it it became very clear to me that I was not going to have a job <laughs> in the NFL anymore. Because I'm like, yeah, I know I won that tryout, and you went with another guy, and then you cut that guy two weeks later, and then went with another guy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I could see the writing on the wall. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my, and at that point I was like, okay, like I need to, you know, I, 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 I need to tell this story about what I experienced in terms of, you know, the interactions with my coaching staff and like what happened. And uh, yeah, so I filed a, a wrongful, was a wrongful termination lawsuit against the Vikings um, ended up settling out of court. Uh, they had to donate a bunch of money to LBGTQ charities and yeah, it's it, it's not something I would recommend going through. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's definitely uh, it happened. <laughs> yeah, that I I find that very very interesting how that all played out, and especially if if you're still playing as well as you always have, and they've held on to you for so long. I don't know. I, it just doesn't make sense to it if it if what you're doing outside of work is mm -hmm. not affecting your playing. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like uh, a bad decision, especially when you're when you're still playing so well. But uh, if you look on the bright side, um, I, I think it gave you a great opportunity to write some fantastic books, which I'm very <laughs> pleased with. Yep, gave me more time to write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and hopefully uh, got you out of professional sports before you know major injuries started happening. Yeah, it's, well, so so here's the other thing. It, it's funny because my wife and I joke about this: is that um, if I hadn't been drummed out of the league for my LB, LBGTQ stances, um, I definitely would have been gone once Colin Kaepernick started taking a knee. Because <laughs> I would have been right there with him. <laughs> 
that's uh yeah that, i would have had maybe like two or three more years that's it it's a, it's like pick your pick your topic it's like uh, right? pick, uh, pick your poison here yeah which human right would you like to right <laughs> exactly <laughs> which sword do you want to fall on because <laughs> there's uh, yeah. there's plenty that the nfl make available <laughs> yeah so that that seems kind of like how how things got started now how did the whole book come together because you like like you said you had kind of the the starting essay um that was kind of the centerpiece of this book um what what pushed you on to be like you know i got a lot of other things to say so um i was also at the time i was also doing a a blog for the saint paul pioneer press it was kind of a like a weekly column type thing and it was very similar where it'd be like you know 1500 to 2000 word um like almost like thought <laughs> so it was uh i i don't i don't want to say there was a cohesive theme there <laughs> but it was basically all right what's he going to talk about this week um but yeah i got got a lot of you know really good feedback on that and so um took a couple of those essays and put them in and then um just wrote a whole bunch of other ones where um the, and, and that was something where um so for the book itself like i wasn't originally intending on writing a book and um i had i think it was like after like the fourth or fifth publisher like contacted me saying hey you should write a book I was just like well yeah maybe I should write a book <laughs> it'd be like if an NF if four or five NFL teams were saying hey you should come play for a team they they might want you to play for the team <laughs> and so at that point I was like okay yeah I I, I do want to write a book I think you know obviously if, if they see something there then I want to try to pursue this but at the same time I didn't want it to be the well, here's my, you know, the standard memoirs, right? Like here's, oh, you know, I grew up doing this and this led me to this and, you know, this happened because to, to me, like that story has been told. Like, yeah, that's, I mean, hell, you can, you can get it in the podcast. Like <laughs> <laughs> just gave it to you. And so what I wanted to write was like, okay, I, I want to write something different. Like I want to, I want to try to give you a, as close a look into my brain like how it works as I can. So buyer beware, because there's, there's, there's a lot of different stuff going on in there. And uh, yeah, so it's fortunate enough that um, the publisher we ended up going with Little Brown, like they, they were all on board with it. And um, yeah, they're fantastic to work with. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a lot of fun writing it. Well, I was going to say, because uh, I, I have, I, ha I have your books right, right here handy. Mm -hmm. And and I looked and Little Brown is an imprint of Ashet, which is like one of the, the major publishers yeah. in the world. So that is that is no small task to be represented by mm -hmm. such a publisher. So I'm glad it was a good yeah, experience well, too. So yeah, no, it's, well, it's great too, because like just looking at some, a bunch of the other books they've published throughout, you know, th throughout the course of their publishing career, like there's been a lot of notable books that Little Brown has published. I mean, not saying that mine's on the same level because, <laughs> like, you know, the, the super well-known ones, but like, it's not like a fly-by-night, you know, vanity press. It's like, it, it was, okay, this is legit. Like, this is one of the the, the big publishers. So yeah, it was, it's, it's also kind of a little bit scary doing that because you're like, man, I really don't want to mess this up. <laughs> it's like, I don't want, I don't want to look like an idiot. <laughs> So yeah, that, that part was a, a little frightening. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like um I I noticed recently that there's like a a Tiger King memoir out there. And mm -hmm. it's something like you don't want it to be something like that where it's just like, right, yeah. oh, like here's the somebody flash in the pan. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny because I, I, I only work at the bookstore on Fridays and 
every week I it's like there's a big stack of them on a table with a bunch of other like kind of celebrity books and stuff like that mm-hmm. and every week the pile has not moved at all it's yeah. the same level same books are there and I'm like we're either gonna have to mark these down or we're gonna send have to send them back <laughs> right no yeah. offense Tiger King but uh I just don't think uh the reading market is your target right <laughs> yeah that's it's, the Netflix market is yeah <laughs> right not the you hit market. there <laughs> yep um now while we're still on the topic of sparkle ponies i have to ask you about the cover um so for since this isn't a visual media but you and i can see this um (laughs) there's this glorious picture of you in the in a red shirt and you are on what looks to be like a carousel horse yep it's a carousel horse (laughs) is okay and you are like looking off as if you were on your your mystical steed right Um, yeah (laughs) <laughs> did I just like nail like what the motivation was for that picture yep yeah no it was great so so they tried a couple different covers and like I I kind of wanted to show my irreverent side <laughs> so that people knew what they were getting into where it's like if you see this cover like you know this isn't a standard football book <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is not going to be about football <laughs> so yeah it was, it was great when they were um when they were shooting it because so they they did it at um at our house the the house I used to live in and so okay. you know they had this carousel horse and they set it up in our driveway so you've got you know the whole photo crew around and new next door neighbors moving in right next door <laughs> that day that is a fantastic story. So that I'm sure they were right. like, who are these weird people that we're moving in next to? Right. Like what's going on over here? Why is this very tall man on right. a, a sparkly carousel what, what, horse? Why does it look like he's trying to ride off in the sunset on a carousel horse? <laughs> so was that a, like an idea of yours or was that something that they pitched to you that the, that the publisher uh, pitched? Yeah, so, so that was one, I think there were three different ones they pitched. It was, one was like me kind of like moving a sparkler around, you know, kind of play off the, the sparkle yeah. uh, idea and sparkle ponies. Um, but that, I, I didn't, I wasn't really feeling that one when when we were looking at the photos. And then when they pulled out the carousel horse, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I can work with that. <laughs> I, uh, the, that was the muse spoke right, to you. Yeah. It's Well, because I mean, so, so one of the other things that kind of like tickled me was that um you know all the like fantasy covers where you have you know like the hero on the horse with the cape going by yeah yeah <laughs> when yeah. they're on like a cliff or something <laughs> so I, like yeah we can recreate that a little bit <laughs> yeah I can get that and this is also uh when you had your like full mane of hair oh too. yeah yeah I was, so, I, I was growing my hair out for uh for charity to donate it so yeah it's it's definitely got the uh, Fabio <laughs> kind oh. of romance novel look on it well, it does make me think of like some of those characters on like the Robert Jordan novels. Mm, yeah, where, yeah. yeah, they're usually like they've got the kind like the longer hair and yeah, you right. just needed a cape or something. But, yep. <laughs> uh, but I am so I'm super glad that I asked about that because that especially the story about the neighbors moving in at that time uh is oh it's fantastic we were getting such weird looks from the moving company (laughs) 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 they would drive past in the truck you could just see them staring over (laughs) oh my gosh that is wonderful uh now sparkle ponies was in about 2013 i think um Mm -hmm. and then in 2020 you came out with what i think is an excellent debut sci-fi novel called otaku 
Can you set the scene for us? Um, like if you were pitching the book to an agent today, how would you describe it? Yeah, so it's kind of like, I think the most common comparison I've gotten from people is it's kind of like Ready Player One, but um, I I deliberately wanted it to be more of a, like like a, a, a grittier cyberpunk feel. Like I'm, I'm a huge fan of William Gibson. Like I, I love William Gibson's work. And um, I like, I, you know, I, I deliberately like tried to build it kind of in that same style where it this, hopefully it feels like a real world, right? Like you see, it's not just the, oh, here's the cool tech, here's the shiny stuff. It's like, you can see the dirt and the cracks in the corners and like how how the 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 machinery goes together in, in how this world functions. And um, yeah, so it's basically the story's about um, a woman, a female gamer. Um, she's one of the best of the best, um, has to deal with a whole bunch of bullshit. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, where would the story be? <laughs> right. It's uh, well, and so, and so one of the other things that, for me, the, the reason why I wrote this story was this was um, I first started writing it when uh, Gamergate was happening. And for those who are unaware, Gamergate was a, a situation where a bunch of regressive internet elements um, harassed the hell out of um, a couple women um, in, in game development um, and just were making their lives miserable. And then it's just awful, awful people. <laughs> and so I spoke out against that as well. Um, and so they, they targeted me for a bit. No, nothing near as bad as, as what the, the primary targets were getting. But like it, it really was something where I'm like, this is not what like this is not what the nerd space should be like this it, it should be inclusive it should be like it doesn't I, what's the best way for me to put it it's like this this isn't just a white cishet male space <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's and and it's a better space for being inclusive because then that means there's more stories to be told and there's more interesting things to you know not just to consume but to like to understand and viewpoints to to learn from and so yeah i I, I started writing a talk that is essentially a giant middle finger to Gamergate. I was like, yeah, you know what? I just want to write a story that hopefully they would start reading it and be like, oh, this is something I love. I see myself as the hero. And then right when they hit chapter three, they're like, oh, wait, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, I, I, can be, I can be petty and vengeful at times. <laughs> that's, that's very a very rare thing from you. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm never petty and vengeful. <laughs> never. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, and then, so then the other thing though, was that like once, when, after I had kind of like the initial idea, you know, it was like, I wanted to highlight um, a lot of the issues that, that women in gaming get and just kind of the, you know, and, and spe more specifically kind of like the racial elements in gaming, like black women get, because it's, if you ever go online and see like this, the stuff that black women have to deal with uh, in the nerd space, like it's horrific. And it's, it, it needs a lot more people talking about it and being like, Hey, this is not okay. And um, from there I was like, okay, there's, there's also like other things I wanted to talk about as well. Um, there, there's a strong theme of uh, climate change in the book. Um, I was, one book that, that really stuck with me after I read it was, I think it's Paolo Pagliucci, that's, uh, it's the wind-up girl. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm butchering his name. I, I completely, I, you know. I know who you're talking about, though. <laughs> yeah, but, but that, that book was phenomenal, because it, essentially it's, it's this, this city that, you know, it's like climate change has happened, and it's like, well, human beings don't just stop, like, we keep going. 
you know, it's how do we adapt to these things? And that, and that was one of the, you know, one of the big other things that I want to address in the book is like climate change is happening. Like it's that engine is in motion. And right now it's not, can we stop it? It's going to be, okay, how bad is it going to get? Yeah. And how can so, we manage it? Right. Like, yeah. is, is there going, like, where is this going to, you know, like, or sorry, not where, but like, what is this going to look like? And like, how, how are people going to survive in this? And so that was why I said it in Miami, because if you talk to any <laughs> governmental <laughs> climate scientist, they will tell you Miami is fucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> that place is done. <laughs> like, it's just a matter of time. And so for me looking at it, it's like, this is, you know, that that's, that's a big city. Like there, there are a lot of people living there. How, like, how would human life potentially go on there? Like what, what would that look like? And like, you know, would there be people, you know, just still living in the water, which, you know, I, I think has a solid chance of happening. Like it may not look exactly what it looks like in my book, but like, you know, I, I can see there's still being communities out there because people don't want to, they don't want to leave. Right. And yeah, it was, there's, there, I, I, I tried to make it not just a, not just a middle finger to Gamergate. Like I'll, <laughs> I also want there to be, you know, layers that, that people think about. Right. Uh, and, you know, uh, talking about uh, what it might look like of people still trying to hang on to that, that space, um, even when it becomes uninhabitable as it once was, it just makes me think of like, well, let's never underestimate the stubbornness of right <laughs> especially americans to be yep. like you know what we'll do we'll just build the buildings higher and mm -hmm. then it doesn't matter how high the water gets yeah, it's, well and so, so another funny thing there is that i actually took a lot of inspiration from um from minneapolis for um for the city in the book uh, ditch town in that in minneapolis you have all these skyways connecting you know these skyscrapers because it gets so cold in the winter that you can't go outside and so I kind of used the reverse for that in Ditchtown, where it's like, it would be so hot, you wouldn't want to go outside. So you have like these floating skyscrapers, and they're all connected by these skyways. So it's it's a very similar, you know, situation. It's just the, the temperatures are completely opposite from each other. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> um, now, you had mentioned, now you had mentioned William Gibson, uh, which that made me smile because I... I don't remember which book he was uh, touring, but I, I got a chance to, to meet him once on one of his more recent book tours. And he was just mm -hmm. a super cool, super nice guy. Um, well, for starters, do you have a favorite book of his that you'd like to recommend? And then um, since you were writing a sci-fi book, did you find yourself influenced by some of your favorites? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I, I've, I've been very fortunate to, like, I've actually kind of struck up an internet friendship with, with him, where, like, we, we converse on Twitter, and um, he, he was actually kind enough to give me a blurb for Otaku. I was like, I, like, it, it blew me away when he sent that, because I was just like, oh my god, like, my, my book up blurb by William Gibson, holy shit. That's incredible, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I would have to say my, um, God, it's got to be neuromancer like because that's kind of like that's number one because th that's just like that's that's cyberpunk like that, that that is like i mean the the modern era cyberpunk and then i would say probably the second one is either peripheral or agency i, re I really like like it's his his latest stuff is really good and really terrifying because it like what it describes 
is like, oh shit, like Neuromancer was correct. <laughs> like this was what was going to happen in five to 10 years. And when you read the peripheral and agency, you're just like, uh, that's not, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> so for some unsettling reading uh, the, uh, that maybe hits a little too close to reality, huh? <laughs> Yeah, it's a, although I, I also have to say his um uh, he has a collection of essays. Uh, distrust that particular flavor. That that's a really good collection of of short stories and essays. Oh, and that I like that title too. Yeah, it's it it's it's really it's it's they're not they're not super long. Like it's I'd say most are like forty five hundred to to six thousand words. But yeah, the, I highly recommend checking that out because that that's kind of him more taking on. Uh, almost kind of similar to Sparkle Ponies, where it's just like him taking on various topics and, and you know, examining them. So yeah, those, I really enjoyed that one as well. Oh, that's exciting. That, uh, I feel like the instant urge to order that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See, the, the hardest thing about doing this particular podcast is that every guest that I have on tells me about something that I have to have that I've never right. heard of before. And <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I already have a problem with books and, and <laughs> but, uh, you know what, it's not going to stop me from getting more. Yeah. I, I have the same. I, my, my wife has banned me from, from ordering more books until we get more bookshelves to hold them. <laughs> Cause I'm kind of like stacking them now in various places. <laughs> I am in the same place right now too, actually. Um, they, I, I have a, a table set up in the room that's supposed to be my library because all of the walls are covered with bookshelves and they're all full. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, now we already started talking to, about some of the themes. So uh, one of the things that I really liked about this futuristic world is the way that it's constructed and who it's centered around. So the, the main character is uh, uh, non-white and female and the city that she inhabits is one adapted from rising sea levels. So. Um, tell me about your vision of the future as you imagine it in this book. And um, I guess you've already talked a little bit about the inspiration of where it came mm -hmm. from, but if there's anything, any other little uh, nuggets you took from inspiration from anywhere else, I'd love sure. to hear. Yeah. About yeah. So it's, it's kind of like the, um, what I, what I was looking at in terms of, so in the book, uh, the, the main character, Ash, um, she lives in, uh, it's, like, it's like this offshore skyscraper city. Uh, it's called Ditchtown. And, um, and I, don't, I don't think I ever explicitly go into it in the book, but you can infer from it that it's called Ditchtown because it, you know, there's these ditches of water running between all these buildings. Like that's, that's why it has the name. Um, and so the, it sits offshore of um, a, uh, like an enclave and it's, um, it's a religious enclave. And so one, one of the reasons, or one of, the, one of the things I wanted to examine is that right now in America, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of strife going on between, um, uh, along like fundamentalist religious lines. Wait, and, this is yeah, news to me. Right? Yeah, <laughs> who could have seen that coming? Um, and, 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 and you see that concentrated a lot in the South. Um, and then, but so the other thing is you also see a similar thing happening in, um, in Northern California in Silicon Valley with the, you know, sort of the tech bros, right? It's like, it's almost like the religion of tech where technology will save everything. It does, there's, there's no inherent morality to technology. We just have to build it and then it will save us. And it's like, well, no, it's, <laughs> it's about the people who use it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, well, and I so think we've had a lot of sci-fi novels that cover that exactly. Right? 
and, and, and so you kind of have these two competing forces where it's like one is like almost the, 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 the excess of fundamentalism, right? And then the other one is the excess of, um, of like libertarian slash late stage capitalism. And they're, and they're both terrible in their own unique ways. And then you have everyone else who's just trying to like live in this world. And that's, and that's the world that Ash inhabits. It's like, okay, I can't be a part of either of these but how do I like, how do I live? How do I take care of the people around me? And so that, that was, that was one of the things I wanted to examine in the book is, is that, you know, there are these, these, these fault lines in America. And, you know, when we're seeing them widen, like every day, like they're getting wider and wider every day. And, and we have to figure out a way to address them. Because, <laughs> because like one of the other big things in the book is like, it takes place after a civil war in America. And it's one where nuclear weapons are used. Like it's because in my mind, like that's that's the only realistic scenario I can think of where nuclear weapons would be used, but would not in you know be World War Three. It would be us using them on ourselves. Like that's that that's where I can see it used. And I I hope our society does not come to that. I hope we are not that insane. But um, I am also a history major. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to say it's a hundred percent chance it won't happen. <laughs> so, right. Well, maybe, so you've maybe. got, a, you've got a very interesting perspective then. Um, do you feel like you, you added uh, some of your knowledge of history into your, into creating your vision of the future then? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I, I wanted it to be a believable future where you could like, you could look at the steps that led to this happening. You'd be like, yeah, I can see that happening. Like for for example, the the war that happens, it's called the water wars. Like it'd be people fighting over water. And that is something that like our own military has said, hey, like as climate change happens, it's going to destabilize nations. It's going to destabilize regions because there will be less potable water. Like there won't be enough for people. And it's not just like drinking water. It's also crop water. It's, you know, providing, and if you don't have crop water, you don't have food for your people. So now you have like mass, mass refugee situations and you have like mass starvation events. And so again, like when that stuff starts happening, like historically that leads to conflict. Like it's, it's, <laughs> I don't, I can't think of a case where it hasn't led to conflict. And so if we don't want that to happen, we, we need to be planning ahead. We need to be thinking about, okay, what are we going to do when these situations happen? Because they are going to happen. Like, it's, like I said, that, that engine of climate change is, is rumbling. <laughs> like it's, it's going, we've put it in motion. <laughs> I mean, and, and uh, I mean, I guess I don't know what the weather has been like in your, in your neck of the woods, but here in Minnesota, it is, I, it has just been all over the place, you know, mm. it, inconsistent is what I, right. I would say. And, and, and that's, and that's the thing that I don't, I still don't think a lot of people understand is that climate change doesn't necessarily mean it just gets hotter everywhere. It means the weather gets more extreme. Mm -hmm. There's more energy in the system. So that means storms are more powerful. You get more tornadoes, you get more hurricanes, like the, the planet becomes more destructive. And that's like, you know, you can see that happening. Like California, we, 
we've seen so many wildfires like over the past you know four or five years like every year is a new record-breaking wildfire year right like you, you see massive heat waves but then you also see like massive cold fronts where because the jet stream is being destabilized you get these arctic you know bubbles that are pushing further and further down into areas where they're not equipped to deal with those kind of temperatures and so yeah I, I, people need to get past this idea of you know everything's just going to get hotter it's like well yeah no the planet on average will get hotter but it's it's going to be drastically like different in various areas and it's going to be worse than it was <laughs> yeah uh i would i would prefer if that uh 30 to 40 below uh, arctic air stayed in the arctic <laughs> right uh, <laughs> and, I, and that the ice stays frozen and doesn't raise sea levels by 10 to 20 feet <laughs> exactly i mean uh at this rate we'll be able to vacation in greenland in no yeah. time it's hot, hot new property on Antarctica. <laughs> new continent <laughs> <Yeah>. opening up. <laughs> All the methane uh, you want. <laughs> and now, there's no way that we could talk about this book and not talk about gaming. The protagonist, Ash, uh, seems to work twice as hard to prove herself in a realm still dominated by men. I guess th this is a, an easy question. Is that a critique of the gaming world at large as you see it now? <laughs> no. <laughs> It's, and it's absolutely think? critique. Like, I mean, and, and one, one of the biggest things I can point to is, you know, just look at the makeup of esports teams. Um, I, I don't know if you follow like uh, any of the esports leagues, but the vast majority of those teams are men. And a lot of them are, are white men, right? Um, or uh, Asian men. And there's, it's extremely rare to have a woman gamer. It's extremely rare to have black gamers. Like it's, it, it is a a space that it's not necessarily the teams that are unwelcoming it is the people who consume that culture who make it an unwelcoming space and that's something that needs to change because it the, when you're playing an esport it doesn't matter your gender it doesn't matter your race all that matters is how good are you at that game <laughs> right like, like are you are you fast enough can you make the the correct decisions in time and and women are just as good at as men <laughs> like there, there are plenty of women gamers who are just as good at, at men at the highly competitive stuff and and then i think another another misconception a lot of people have is that like those are the only games that matter and it's like no those aren't the only games that matter like if you play if you play cookie clicker if you play candy crush like if you play games that are considered casual you're still a gamer like those are still games mm -hmm. and just because someone enjoys those games doesn't make them a fake gamer they just enjoy a different type of game than you and and like we have to get past this idea that unless you can beat dark souls on hard like you're the one true gamer <laughs> it's like no everyone should be able to game <laughs> um now is there uh any glimmer of hope like do things seem to be improving at all for women and girls when it comes to gaming um I guess, are there any little like gems of examples that you can think of where things, uh, the tide turning perhaps? Yeah, so, so that's, a, that's a tricky one because in terms of, in terms of creating games, um, developers are, are becoming more diverse, uh, publishers are becoming more diverse. But I, I think one of the real problems that the sort of the gaming sphere has is that the the means with which we can respond to harassment haven't kept pace with our technology 
And the people who are in charge of that are, are legislators, right? Our, our Congress people, our, you know, our senators, our House of Representatives, that most of them are like older white men. Like it's still, it's still the same issues and they're not technologically savvy. Like they don't understand why, why the internet is just as much a public sphere as being out on a street corner. Like they don't, they don't get that it is a legit social space. And that, that's something that we, we need to address because if we, don't, if we don't have tools to respond to you know, focused, sustained harassment, like if, if we don't take this stuff seriously, then it's just gonna keep happening. Uh, you suddenly remind me of, uh, I believe it was Senator Stevens from Alaska, rest in peace, who, who said that the internet is a series of tubes. Yeah, you know? it's a series of tubes. It's just like, no, we need people who, who like, who understand what it means to be online. And, and, you know, there's a couple, um, you know, Ilan Omar, uh, uh, AOC, like they, you know, they, they get what it means to be online. Like it was mm -hmm. just, we need more because we, we need people who understand the, you know, the dangers of being online and, and especially the dangers that can be mitigated, right? Like we need, we need law enforcement agencies to take swatting seriously. Like we, we need them to take online harassment seriously. Like it's not just, oh, you know, just, well, why don't you just turn your phone off? It's like, well, no, you can't, you can't just turn your phone off. You can't just step away from the internet. Like go, go ahead and try and get a well-paying job that asks you to step away from the internet. <laughs> unless you're like an ice trucker or something like that but even then you still probably need google maps to figure yeah. out where you're at they just don't want like, you to be surfing the internet while you're actively driving yeah like it's it's like the internet is a part of our society and we, and we have to treat it as such well said well put there um now let's talk a little bit about ash now ash is a truly kick-ass character with heart and strength uh, how did you go about finding her voice? And especially mm. writing a, a female character in general, how did you go, how do you approach that so that she came out sounding like right. a real person <laughs> and not like, I'm, a, I'm saying man things and I sound like a man. <laughs> right, how, how, how do you not write her as a cishet white man trying to sound like <laughs> A woman, exactly. <laughs> a woman of color. Yeah. So, so the first thing you do is you make sure you talk with with women of color and be like, "Hey, am I doing this right?" <laughs> and, and then if they tell you you're doing it wrong, you listen to them. <laughs> you, you don't ignore their lived experiences. <laughs> so that that was kind of one of the big things about finding Ash's voice is, is I had a pretty good idea because I've 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 been online for my entire like and I've I've seen the difficulties that that women and, and women of color have faced online. And so, you know, I, I figured I had a pretty decent starting point, but I knew in order for it to be authentic, like in order for it to be accurate, I, you know, it couldn't just be me talking about this. Like I, I needed to actually, you know, talk with women and talk with women of color and, you know, uh, bisexual women of color to be like, hey, is this your experience? Like, is this your lived experience? And when I got it wrong, you know, as an author, if you get it wrong and someone tells you, hey, that's not right, like it's it's not a personal attack. It's it's them helping you. <laughs> it's them trying to make your writing better. So listen to them, <laughs> like take that feedback into consideration and make those changes. And so, yeah, that, that was the, I, I think the, for me, one of the scariest things was that I, I knew it was risky writing Ash, you know, as being a cishet 
white man. <laughs> like that's like I had to get it right. And and I wanted to put in the time to get it right because it's, you know, if, if I didn't, it, it would be insulting. Like and, and it would be it would be me not caring enough about what I was trying to talk about. It's like if, if you if you're gonna talk about something, care enough to to get it right. That's a, a great thing that I, I think sometimes people get the idea that when they're writing fiction, it's like, oh, you just, you know, you just make it up in your head and it's whatever. But it's actually really important that uh, when you create a character that isn't yourself, that you do the research. So writing fiction does involve research. Right. It involves a lot of research. <laughs> but because that's the other thing. If you want, if you want a story to resonate with people, like it can have fantastical elements. But at the end of the day, there, there has to be that human element where people understand, yes, these are believable characters. Like the, these are people that I can see myself interacting with and that I can see inhabiting my world. And, you know, but I mean, saying that you're always going to get regressive idiots that'll be like, well, you know, that's not believable. How, you know, how could you have a black elf? It's just like, fuck you. <laughs> like, <fucking> really? <laughs> So yeah, no, I mean, you can ignore those people, <laughs> but, but yeah, you, you, your characters do need to be believable in terms of a, a human perspective. Mm -hmm. Now the, um, that also sparked uh, a, a question. How long did this book take to write from kind of inception, like starting to jot things down on the page to publication? Uh, how long was that process? Yeah, so it was actually kind of long because I started it, um, like I said, uh, pretty much like right after Gamergate happened, got about halfway through and then I just hit a wall. I didn't I didn't know where the story was going to go. So like I've, I've written other stuff where like I've plotted it out. Okay, you know, here's my beginning. Here's, you know, here's the middle. Here's the end. Like here are the, the events that I want to have happen in between. And like those, like sometimes I do that. Sometimes I just wing it. And so for Otaku, like I was like, okay, I know, I know how I want this to start. Like I know how I want this to, you know, to go. But then I got, I just, I got to this midsection. I'm just like, I just, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, I, I don't know where the story's supposed to go. And so that took me about a year and a half to get to that point. And then I just kind of sat on it for like two years. I was just like, I just, I don't, I don't know where it's going to go. And then literally one day I was in the shower, just kind of like, you know, shower thoughts. I'm like, wait, I've got it. <laughs> just out of nowhere. I was like, I know where the story goes. <laughs> <laughs> and so then it took me another like six months to finish it up and then uh yeah then the standard um so i think that was like 2017 2018 somewhere around there um then the normal publishing process usually it's about like a i think about a year and a half to a two-year process um for for like uh normal books like if they're not trying to rush it out um so sparkle ponies was weird because it, it was like that was like six months so it, it was a very quick book to come out in terms of the publishing process um, whereas Otaku was more along the standard year and a half to two years because they got to slot it into their, you know, their publishing order and, and figure out what kind of marketing they're going to do. But um, yeah, no, it was, um, I'd say altogether, so what, like five years, five and a half, six years. Wow. And that, that is incredible. Uh, and I love though that it's, it's like your brain just had to marinate on, on it mm -hmm. for just long enough until somehow it all all lined up and you figured out how it was gonna end. Uh, that's great. Yep. And I'm I'm glad that I'm not the only one who's just like trying to work things out when I'm mm -hmm. just thinking in the shower. Right. That's well and, and so the, I've also written other books where like I've um uh, like I've plotted it out, right? And then I'll get 
a third of the way through, I'm just like, wait a minute, these characters want to do something totally different. <laughs> it's like, and so, and so you can still kind of use the outline, but then the characters themselves are almost like, and that's, that's such a, it, it's an awesome feeling to have, like from a writing perspective, when the characters start like actually living, right? Where it's just like, oh, this character would do that. Like, that's who they are. And, and it gen like it always happens in a book. Like at, at a certain point, you're like, that's who that character is. Like that's, doesn't matter what I thought they were gonna do. This is the character telling me what they were going to do. And it's like, it's, it's, it's always amazing when it happens. That is really cool. I, I think that's when you realize that you've, you've truly created a three-dimensional character because right. it's not, they're not just moving along like you tell them to do. It's uh, you've kind of given them life and, and they're yeah, doing you, you their you own switch thing. from the puppet master to actually having a conversation with them. <laughs> yes. That's a really, that's a good way of looking at it. I think. Yeah. Now let's see. Do if you have a copy of Otaku Handy, do you want? Do you have a path, favorite passage you want to read at all? I don't know if you have um, one. Let's see. If you're I, allowed I to, Handy. Um, yeah, I, I probably could. I have to think off the top of my head. Problem is, like, my favorite passage is chapter eight, and then, then that's. <laughs> I kind of like to leave that as a surprise. Yeah, and which I I believe in the. You you mentioned chapter eight in the the back of, of the of the book yeah, the afterward the, kind of yeah, yeah. acknowledgments part yeah <laughs> it's um yeah I, I I don't know that I have like I think so for me personally I really like writing action scenes like I I really enjoy and and I think a lot of that has to do with just me being an athlete and like like you know being able to see in my mind kind of like how those would play out because just because I you know I've put my body through so many different things. And, um, but the problem is like a lot of those action scenes are <laughs> like four or five pages long. It's, uh, yeah, and I, I don't know that I have a favorite one that I, that I would want to read. <laughs> that is totally fine. Uh, you, you've given us a taste of like what to look for in, in there for personal favorites. Um, now, what is the biggest message that you'd like readers to get out of your novel? Um, treat human beings as human beings, <laughs> like no, no matter if they're in front of you or on the other side of the screen. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think that's kind of the, the main one, like that's, and I mean, again, that's not something that's explicitly stated, but a, mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of the book is Ash trying to essentially establish herself as a person in this universe that doesn't want to see her as a person. It has, you know, it, it has all these forces trying to work against her to, to reduce her to something, you know, that, that, that she's not, and she's, she's a person, she's complicated, she's flawed, you know, she's good at some stuff, she's bad at other stuff. And, you know, I, I, I think to me, that's, that's the most important thing we, we need as a society to develop within the, our online social spaces is the idea that, there is a person on, on the other side of the screen. Like there is, you know, that there, it's not just a collection of words and letters or, you know, or, or a, a, an avatar. Like that's, there, there's a thinking, living, breathing human being on the other side of that. And it, I mean, and I've been guilty of, of losing my way on that at times. Like I'll, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll rage on Twitter at someone who says something particularly stupid. And I'll just be like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but, but like, it, it, it's something where we, you know, it, it's just, we have to understand that like that stuff sticks with you, right? Like so you see something online and it's, you know, it's, it's like someone said that to you 
and we, we we have to figure out a way to deal with that that makes me think of i i can think of somebody said some like it was in like some group that i was a part of on facebook and I had made some comment and then someone like responded to my comment and it was like kind of nasty. And I was just kind of like, oh, that like, mm -hmm. I am like, I hate how much I'm actually thinking about this. Like, right. you know, like this person that who doesn't know me mm -hmm. uh, is totally inconsequential to like me as a human and my life. But I can't stop thinking about that meaning right. that they have the nerve exactly. to say to me. It's, it's like, I know I should shrug it off, but like, it's still just eating away at you. And it's, it's like, and you can't get it out of your head. And mm -hmm. that's, and it, again, I think we need to understand what that means as, as a society. Now, I know you've hinted at, uh, at other books that you've worked on. Now, are there any more books in this same universe on the horizon? or perhaps any other kind of writing projects. Uh, now, as, as much as I'd totally love to have plenty more sci-fi, uh, I, I know in the acknowledgements you said to your, um, was it your agent that mm -hmm. you're like, I'll, I'll write those football memoirs someday. I, I, I would gladly read those too, so. Uh, I, I, I keep promising to write them for him and I'm just like, I just don't feel it. <laughs> <laughs> like and I and I know I should do it, but I'm just like, eh, but it's football. Like, <laughs> it's really not that important. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm working on some other stuff. Um, a buddy of mine, Andy Reiner. Um, we wrote. Uh, we we've self published a couple books together. We're um we're working on one right now. It's kind of um, it's a I my agent's in the process of reading it. He hasn't gotten back to me on it yet, but um, basically I described it to him as like fight club meets animal farm meets like 30s detective noir <laughs> that is a hell of a combination right and... <laughs> so, so we had a lot of fun writing it <laughs> so i again i have no idea what he's gonna think about it <laughs> but it's a, basically it's this world where like um all the all the characters they're people but they all have animal heads <laughs> right <laughs> and so the animal heads like kind of relate to their personalities but in some cases don't but like it's you know we've got this detective who's he's a shark <laughs> so yeah it's uh again i i don't know if, it, if it'll ever see the light of day but it's we we had a blast writing it it's, it's set in chicago like mid 1930s chicago you know a lot of that like pulpy gangster feel towards it it's a it is not sci-fi at all <laughs> it's it's very much that like gangster noir so i like no, that a little different uh a different flavor there uh yep now and then I've also been working on um I'm trying my hand at a um what's it called it's called a light novel um kind of like the uh it's, it's like an anime right or a manga mm -hmm. in just like written form and so um I've written the first book of it I'm working on the second one I um the first one's about 50 55,000 words um I think the second one will probably end up being the same I want to try to get like four or five of them done just so that way you know e either I can be like hey look here's the story like you know I have multiples of them because I don't want it to be like oh I wrote one book you know and there's supposed to be you know 10 total and then I'm like well you know I do uh, yeah I'm just I'm not writing the other ones like I, I want to actually commit to being like okay I have enough of the story there to have like the you know to give myself some wiggle room because usually with those it's like you're, you're trying to pump those out like every you know six months to a year um and so I, I don't like putting myself on time frames 
because like like with the taku right like i literally stepped away from it for two years yeah like just i didn't feel like writing it and so i i know with something like that like i want to be able to commit to there being enough story to where there's wiggle room but um ha- having a lot of fun writing that because that one's um that one's going to be a I'm, I'm going for almost like a um not quite Terry Pratchett-esque send-up, but very much a like humorous look at the uh, Iseki uh, genre. The uh, kind of, you know, person gets transported to the video game world, has, you know, like the classes and the levels. And, but, cause like I watch a ton of anime and like that is a very popular genre right now. And mm-hmm. there's so many tropes that are so terrible. <laughs> So I kind of kind of just want to send up the whole genre, but also, you know, with some love, right? Where it's just like, yeah, these, you know, this is like, this is what standard Isekis do, but here's where it can be really funny. So that would be more of a, more of a comedy type thing. Uh, okay. So now I have to ask what, what animes are you obsessed with right now? Ooh, um, I've actually, um, actually really enjoying uh, World Trigger um that one it's uh basically it's it's this um the human world has been invaded by um so they're, they're called the neighbors it's like an extra dimensional world um but they they tend to look they they look humanish and so it's a it's kind of a standard like fighting battle uh anime but there's a lot of it's a lot more like tactical oriented and the the character growth is really good because it follows like I think at this point it's like 25 or 30 different characters but the way the story is told they do a really good job of like keeping everything interwoven and like not spending too much time on like the, the fighting um as like a, a centerpiece like there's really cool fight scenes but there's also a lot of really good character development um the only problem with it is the the first season of it I think came out like three or four years ago and the animation is terrible like it's just like the story is great and the animation is garbage but oh, then, this new season that came out the animation is now caught up to the story where it's like they actually got a good studio to do it. <laughs> now the animation is great. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, um, so that's one of the recent ones. Um, let's see. Uh, one Piece. I'm, I'm actually a really big fan of One Piece. <laughs> it's like as, as one of my Twitter followers, when they were trying to convince me to watch it, because like I'd never been a fan of One Piece because I was like, I for whatever reason, I, I couldn't get into the art style. I'm just like, ah, oh, man, just, I just, I don't, it's not grabbing me, but like one, one of my followers was like, yeah, you should watch it. Like it's, it's literally one of the greatest adventure stories ever told. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll give it a chance. And started watching it. And like, once you learn how to get through the filler and, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of the endless recaps, it's like, it is a really good story. Like there's, it's, it's amazing. Just the, the progression and development that happens. Um, so yeah, that always watching for new episodes of that. Um, see stuff I've watched recently uh really liked um decadence that that one was really cool um it was a think of it like a reverse mmo where instead of the the humans going into the robot world it's the robots coming into the human world and that's their mmo (laughs) oh that's funny i like that (laughs) yeah it's it's really well done the animation super fluid there's a lot of really cool scenes um uh id invaded is fantastic that's like uh, I, that's like a psychological thriller kind of almost like um like silence of the lambs kind of where it's uh basically there's this investigative unit that they go into serial killers minds to try to track them down and but the only way you can go into a, one of the serial killers minds is if you've killed someone so they have kind of like this um the the, the initial protagonist is like he was a cop but then like terrible stuff happens he, you know he goes murders people so he and, he, and he's kind of like like he can 
he can mess with people's minds. Like he's got a really good like sense of what makes people tick. And then you have kind of like the rookie, you know, detective who then, sh- you know, stuff happens. And then now she's able to become a, a detective as well. That one's really cool. I really enjoyed that one. Um, yeah. There, uh, and then, sorry, I know I'm getting a ton of. <laughs> you can talk for as long as you want about, and I'm like, I, I'm in, I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my favorites and it's, it's one of my kids' favorites too, is I, I can't wait for the second season to come out. Um, it's called Bofuri. Uh, it's, um, it is a, so it's in a sekai where not, not quite in a sekai, but very similar to where essentially the, the main character, she goes into a virtual world game and it's her and her friends, you know, kind of like, questing and leveling up and doing stuff like that um but the thing that makes it so funny is that it's it's like it's it's almost a satire of of like leveling up stuff because she's so overpowered (laughs) she her her whole character concept is she doesn't want to get hurt like so she just puts everything into defense so no one can end up killing her (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then she just gets these ridiculous abilities <laughs> like she becomes this terrifying like the, the characters in the game refer to her as like one of the final bosses <laughs> she's just, but it's it's charming it's it's hilarious like cannot recommend it enough like if you yeah. if you can find Bofuri, go watch Bofuri because it is awesome <laughs> and i was gonna say it's kind of like an opposite problem of one punch man right where <laughs> right yeah yeah <laughs> instead of the offense is being too good right yeah her defense is too good yeah no one can kill her it's although one punch man is fantastic i love one punch man (laughs) saitama is so great my kids love love one punch man too so yeah no i i I love watching anime like there's there's a lot of really good stories out there and it's so that the key is though you got you got to find the ones that are like the good stories and then pick out the ones that are my my personal anime rating scale is from great to what the fuck japan <laughs> <laughs> and you know what i i think about that like when i look at the the manga section at work mm-hmm. and there are some that are just very normal and right. then there are some where i'm like what in the hell is this right and that that's the what the fuck japan <laughs> yeah but yeah there's a lot of good stuff out there it's i'm 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 glad we're finally getting more anime over to (laughs) to the u.s because like i remember growing up where you'd have to like find the vhs tapes (laughs) like like fist of the north star (laughs) and then you'd have to like learn japanese right yeah it was they're they're always like and and they'd always have like two out of the three (laughs) you're like but where's where's the complete set like you don't want to just buy two of these oh yeah and like if you were trying to find it secondhand it would be like fifty dollars and right like maybe it would work yeah (laughs) now i realized uh partway through writing my questions that otaku is actually published by tor books which uh, another novelist that I had on the show uh, recently, just a couple episodes back, um, uh, my new friend Lee Mandela, who wrote the book Summer Suns, also published through Tor Press. So I uh, I think it's so funny. I'm like, I should be on their marketing department because I keep picking <laughs> right. uh, books that they've published. Uh, now, how did you end up choosing them? So it's a different publisher than Sparkle Ponies, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, obviously I heard good things from, from another writer. Uh, how did you end up with them that time? 
Yeah, no, Tor is great. They 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 were great to work with. Um, honestly, from an author's perspective, um, if a publishing company wants to publish your book, usually like, yes, please <laughs> publish my book. Yeah, like get it out there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm I'm not really like generally um the the process at least for me personally is like I'll send something to um, my agent. Uh, he'll look through it and then he'll like he'll give me feedback feedback on. Yeah, I think, you know, I think we can present this to publishing company, see if anyone's interested or yeah, I don't, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, and, and he's, he's had a lot of experience. So, you know, when he tells me, yeah, this probably isn't going to work. It's like, okay, well, either I abandon it or I figure out a way to rewrite it because <laughs> he's, he's been spot on. And so, um, yeah, with the case of Otaku, um, he, he's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'm going to send this out to, you know, a bunch of different publishing houses, see if anyone's interested. And uh, yeah, Tor was interested, and um, I was I was super stoked to work with them because I mean they've been a big name in in science fiction fantasy publishing like for a long time, and uh, you know they're they're just they're also a good company like the the stuff they stand for like they they stand for inclusion and diversity and like and they're not afraid to show it either, which uh, to me like I I really appreciate that because there are a lot of companies where they're just like yeah and now we're publishing trump's memoir and it's just like no fuck you (laughs) (laughs) like i don't care they would make you a bunch of money that's a shitty thing to do (laughs) and so yeah no i nothing nothing but good words for tour that's awesome and and that um my my friendly now uh was was talking about how um putting out a book that has a queer main character and then also working with like other queer people on like the different levels of the publishing world and how refreshing that was to right to be like wow there are there are queer people in every level of this and and that it just kind of made it easier when you're like trying to tell that story that you have people that you can talk about and like bounce ideas and like they have experience to kind of add to the richness of what you're trying to put out there. Right, exactly. Like, like there, there are people in the room who understand what the story it is that you're trying to tell. Like, mm-hmm. and, that's, and that's super important. You know, like, like I said, from a writing perspective, like if you want it to be authentic, like there needs to, you need to have those voices that, that you can talk to so that you know it's authentic. And then same thing from the publishing perspective and the editing perspective, right? Like there needs to be, okay, yes, we, we understand what this story is, and what's the best way to bring that story out? And so, yeah, like like I said, I think Tor is a great company. Um, now, I just really hope that someone uh, can can find the voice of those uh, the detective with the shark's head. <laughs> yep, <laughs> fits the shark detective. Yes. Oh, <laughs> like I can't stop thinking about it now. Like I really <laughs> hope that he gets back to you and he's like, "This is a great idea. It's perfect. We'll send it out <laughs> I tomorrow." Hope it too. Because did you did you say that you already self published that one or or no? That... Uh, so so the one that um my buddy Andy and I self published um it was a science fiction one um it was called uh, Prime um now here's a tip for all of you out there who want to self publish something if you are self publishing through Amazon do not title your book Prime <laughs> because when someone searches for it they will not find your book. <laughs> That is a great point. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, no, we, um, that one, we had a lot of fun writing that one. It's, um, that was kind of more of a, uh, like space opera, I would, I would say, uh, sci-fi, whereas like 
kind of higher concept, you know, spaceships going back and forth, like crazy battles happening. Um, and then it was, it, it's rough. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say it's great. Like, I, I think we did a pretty decent job on it, but like, there was like, there's definitely areas we could have done better. Um, but we, we've, we actually wrote the sequel to it um, that we, uh, it's titled Splice. We just, we haven't figured out what we want to do with it yet. Like, like, I don't know if we want to self-publish it or like if, if we want to try to present it to, to publishers. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of been sitting in the background. Where we're like, we really should get this book out because we had a lot of people who, who liked uh, who liked Prime. We're like, yeah, we want to keep telling that story. <laughs> so yeah, eventually someday. <laughs> that just, it sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, I'm, I don't know, after reading your, your other books, it just makes you want more. So. Oh, thank you. Uh, if now, okay, so if Otaku could be adapted into a movie or a miniseries, do you have some dream actors or directors that you'd like to see interpret your work? Mm, yeah, um, so in terms of actors, so uh, for me, the, the person I had in mind when I was writing Ash was um, uh, Simone Biles. So like one of the best in the world, right? Just athletic as hell bouncing around all over the place like that to me that that's who I was picturing and then um uh her um uh, I'm god I'm terrible I forgot the name of one of my own characters um <laughs> her, her friend who runs the half sphere why can't I oh I'm awful um anyways um that would be uh Janelle Monet would be uh that character because kind of, kind of just that, like, you know. I totally quirky. got that vibe reading it, too. That's funny yep. that you say that, because I could totally picture that. Yeah, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely, like, that That would be my, in terms of casting, like, that's what I'd be like, hey, these two, like, this is what I base them off of. Um, in terms of directing, like, uh, honestly, I don't know. Probably not Michael Bay. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Because then the movie but, would be six hours long with all the slow motion scenes. Right. Yeah, there, there'd be a lot of slow motion scenes. Um, and it, honestly, I would I would almost want to see it as like a as an animated uh presentation. Like I, I could see it as like, you know, a, either either a good western like um anime style company or even you know a, a an eastern anime style company, like just in because like it I think people have gotten past the idea that animation is just for kids. Like, you know, like that this, you, you can legit tell stories in this environment. So yeah, I, I would love to see something like that. I mean, and I'd love to see it as a normal like present presentation too, like as a, like a movie or a, you know, TV series, something like that. Um, I don't know that it'll ever happen, but it, it'd be really cool. <laughs> you know, uh, with the way that it seems like the, the sky's limit. Um, I, I was going to say earlier about how, um, a lot of self-published books have gotten mainstream like publishing kind of because of like TikTok and like people and like even some strange things that I that I would never expect people to really latch on to. And it's like, oh, like this very strange title. We got 10 of them in just today and, right. <laughs> and, and they're going to be gone by tomorrow. And, and, you know, like all sorts of things becoming, you know, getting, it seems like everyone's always looking for the next thing to make, mm. uh, to adapt. Um, so, well, you know, so, so honestly, I think um, web novels are, are the next thing that's coming up, especially in, in terms of like, um, of anime, but also like, I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of room there for 
like the more traditional, um, you know, like Netflix, Hulu, or even, you know, like HBO, stuff like that. Because there's some really good web novels out there. Like I'm, I'm reading one right now that my brother recommended to me. Um, it's called The Wandering Inn. Um, and that, if, if you haven't heard of that, I would highly recommend checking it out. Like right now, I'm on like book four of it right now. And it's like, each one of the books is like Robert Jordan length, like a thousand, it, it would be Whoa. like a thousand plus pages if it was a book. And it's like, it's a fantasy world with elements of kind of the, uh, the Aseki genre, right? You know, you have the people come in, they, they can get classes and skills. Like it's, it's super well-written and it's really well-told. So if, if you, if you're looking for someone to, for something to read and you've got a lot of free time, <laughs> I would highly recommend checking out The Wandering Inn because I, I've just been enthralled by it. <laughs> So perfect if you like break a leg or something and you just got to mm -hmm. be laid yep. up for a while. Exactly. And you can read on a tablet, you can read on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think um, the author actually put out a, uh, an audiobook version of it on Audible. No way. That's incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, now, once listeners are done reading Otaku, what else do you recommend that they read? Well, I mean, I just said, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> read the was, wandering in. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, recently, uh, the one uh, series that I really, really like, um, and I, and I, it's gotten a lot of attention and probably a bunch of readers know of it is the, um, uh, Tamsin Weir's, um, Gideon the Ninth, um, the oh, yeah, first yeah. Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth. And I think, uh, the third one's supposed to come out this year, uh, Nona the Ninth. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that because, that is just such a cool universe that that she's created like it is it, it's just like it's gothic and gross but amazing <laughs> like can't can't speak enough about how cool that one is and then um the other one by um arcady martin um the um uh a, a memory called empire and then a desolation called peace those two are fantastic like they Again, I cannot recommend them on this. Nice. Um, and are you currently reading anything right now? Or maybe I should say, because you're such a fast reader, are there several things you're reading right now? Yeah, so so I'm, I'm always reading stuff because, so one of my other side jobs is I do um, a book review column for Lightspeed. So every month I'll, I'll review a book there. Um, and then, yeah, it's uh, pretty much anything that's coming out, um, I'll read. Um, there, there's actually a new one by, uh, her name's Jesse Mahalik, um, that I'm really looking forward to. I haven't read it yet, but um, I'm really looking forward to reading it because I, I read um, three of her previous ones, really enjoyed the books. Um, this one, it, it's, it's not quite romance, not quite sci-fi. It's kind of like a, a mix between the two, but like the characters are really well developed. Like there, there's, there's, good plot advancement there's cool action scenes so i'm i'm hopeful that this one will be will be pretty cool as well and then um there's another uh writer uh, michael mamey um he just had one that came out that was called hold on let me let me see what it's called because i actually just reviewed it um let's see his his initial book was planet side um which was pretty cool it was kind of a military sci-fi um style one and then his most recent one is called The Misfit Soldier. And it's um it's almost like a like an Ocean's Eleven meets like military sci-fi type thing. And and the the thing that I really enjoyed about it, and, and I said in my review is like he takes a lot of like kind of the classic tropes and then kind of twists them to where I was like, oh, I know what's gonna happen. Oh wait, he did something completely different. 
like I really enjoyed that. <laughs> so yeah, that, that one was pretty cool. I, I recommend that one. Oh, that's awesome. I love, I love a good book that really throws your expectations mm-hmm. out the window. Like you, you think you've got it figured out and right. <laughs> then ever, like I said, everything goes out the window. Uh, those are some really good recommendations. I'm excited about all of those. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, now, as we're we're coming here to the end, I mean, gosh, I feel like this was uh, just flew by in a heartbeat for me. This has been such a, a fun chat. Um, now, anything else that you are involved with right now that you'd like to plug? Um, I know you have a tabletop game. I would love to know a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So um, created way back in, I think it was 2015, 16, somewhere around there, uh, Twilight of the Gods. Um, it's uh, similar to Magic the Gathering, um, but different. It's a, it's not a collectible card game. It's a, um, we can't say living card game because Fantasy Flight uh, apparently copyrighted that. Um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> it's a, I guess, updatable card game. Some, it, essentially, you, you know what cards you're getting when you buy the box. And, oh, um, and it's like a, it's, it's a deck builder. So, you know, you're, um, you, so your deck's 50 cards, you choose which ones you put in there and then you duel against someone else. Um, had a lot of fun creating that. Uh, for me, a big inspiration on creating that is that I, I played Magic the Gathering going, growing up, huge Magic the Gathering fan. Um, there's some stuff about Magic the Gathering that I'm like, eh, I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, how would I solve these problems? Um, and so like, for example, like if you get mana flooded or mana starved, um, basically situations where you don't get to play the game because like when you're playing a game you should feel like okay I'm actually involved in this right there's something I can do I'm I'm invested in this game and when situations arise where you're not allowed to play the game um like a permission deck you know blue counter spells going off all the time or you know a control deck where someone's just always stealing your stuff like you're just you're not being allowed to play the game and so that that was what I wanted to try to to, to fix is like, okay, how would I fix that? And then um, the other thing I want to do with it is uh, one, another one of my favorite authors of all time is um, Ian Banks. Um, and so the, um, the player of games, I love that book. Like it's, and, and one of the reasons why I love it is because the, the, the idea behind having a game that represents who you are, right? Like this game that's so complex and intricate that like you can, by the way you play it, you you display what you value. You you know just dis, you display who you are as a person and like what the society is that you live in. Like to me, I I always thought that was fascinating. And um, you know, I knew obviously I wasn't going to be able to recreate that, <laughs> but but I definitely wanted it to be okay. Like your card choices and the play style that that enables could really show okay, you know, you as a player, what do you value? And so that's like like our factions in the game are based off of uh, philosophies. This, so we have like aggression, we have sanctuary, we, uh, we have negotiation, um, you know, we have mysticism. And it's like, as you're playing these factions, like if you're playing the aggression faction, like you play aggressive, like you're going <laughs> after this, the other person. Like if you're playing sanctuary, like you're trying to ford up and keep your stuff safe and heal yourself. And, and the thing is, is you can pick and pull from all of the different factions, like to create, you know, the deck that you want to create. So it does become an expression of, of who you are as a player and like what play style you prefer. So had, had a lot of fun doing that. Um, unfortunately, we had some issues with, uh, with our publisher getting acquired by another publisher. Um, and then the pandemic happened. 
<laughs> so so we were supposed to have our first big expansion come out um like i want to say like a year and a half after the base game released because i was like okay we'll release the base game then we'll release the first three mini expansions like you know three or four months later then we'll release the you know the first big expansion then the three mini expansions for that um did not quite go as i had hoped <laughs> But I have been informed by our new publisher that our first big expansion is actually being shipped now. <laughs> on, That's awesome. On, yep, on slow boat. So hopefully that should be in stores at some point this year. Um, but yeah, the pandemic's been rough in terms of of tabletop gaming stuff because I mean it's just it's tough to you know to justify getting face to face with people like when, when there's a pandemic like, mm -hmm. like it, it's really hard to do. It's not the same when you have to put up plastic dividers in, right. in your own it's, home, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's well, I mean, and the other thing too is like so many, so many tabletop games, like so many card games, like you learn about the new games by going to your local gaming store and you know, being able to see those games or to have them recommended to you by, you know, by the the owner of the store. Like like I ran a uh I actually owned a, a tabletop gaming store for about like five years. Um, and you know, that was that was one of the things I loved was like recommending games to people right where i you know they'd ask like hey you know what's cool i'm like oh this game's cool you should check this out like and, and then you know people playing in the store right so you you walk over to a table and you see people playing something you're like oh that looks really cool what is that you know and then you could talk about it and um yeah it's just again with with the rise of of online shipping like kind of crushing brick and mortar stores and then also the pandemic <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like tabletop gaming still hanging on like you know pe people still play them it's just it's just becomes so much tougher to you know to try to make that happen yeah i think of um it's it's very much like being a bookseller when it, it's mm -hmm. like like being passionate about a game and and being able to basically hand sell it because you have experience with it and you know how great right. it is uh i think that's so cool and uh you'll be happy to know actually in uh near near where i live actually and just in the next neighborhood over there is this super cool little tabletop gaming comic slash comic kind of shop and it's like okay. in it's like in the corner of an apartment building and it's like one of those ones where like you like walk down the steps oh nice there's a little um i believe it's still called mead hall um mead hall okay yeah so yeah, I, I guess maybe sometime you're in, you're back in the twin cities ever you should check it okay. out yeah because because i used to play at um I was called Tower Gaming. Um, I don't know if they're still there. I, I hope they are. Yeah, um, I think it was I, on like 42nd and Nicolette, I want to say. I want to um, say, do they have more than one location? I I don't know. They only had one when when I was there. They might have had another, but it, it was really cool. It was kind of because, you know, they kind of had the, the upstairs play area. And then there's also, you know, the basement, like mm -hmm. where they had, you know, extra tables set up. But yeah, it was like, like local gaming stores are awesome. Like I, I, I hope... I hope we manage to keep those alive because it's like having local bookstores. Like it's, it's, it's a place, exactly. it's a place to have a community. Like yeah. and, and we need places like that. I mean, like, where are you supposed to meet other people who are into that kind of right? genre of stuff? <laughs> like, exactly. Um, well, I guess last chance, any other, um, any other things that you're involved in right now that you want to promote here as we're wrapping up? Uh, no, that, that's about it. Uh, Twilight of the Gods. Take, keep keep an eye out for that. And then, um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Chris Warcraft. Uh, I tend, I read all my replies. So, <laughs> which I think that's great because without that, this wouldn't have happened. And this has just been a fantastic experience. So, 
Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Once again, the, the books are Beautifully Unique Sparkle Ponies, which is available as an ebook. I think last time I checked, I don't think I can order it in hardcover anymore. Yeah, I, I, I think they, I think that print run's done. Um, okay. You might be able to find it like secondhand, but I don't know that you'd be able to order it firsthand. Right. Um, so there are hard copies floating around in the universe somewhere. Mm-hmm. I know I have one in hand. So, <laughs> uh, but if for a quick read, uh, you can, you can just download it immediately uh, if you have the capability to do that. Um, and, uh, and then there is Otaku, of course, which I had so much fun reading and talking about today that uh, is now available in paperback. And uh, if you just can't get enough of this guy, follow him on Twitter at uh, Chris Warcraft. So uh, you will not be disappointed. He has got constantly <laughs> coming up with uh, creative vernacular uh, and, and just finding all sorts of, of, th- of wonderful and interesting things to bring to our attention. So follow him there. Um, so thank you all for listening and thanks for reading. Our theme music was written and composed by Jeremy Markle. If you have questions or suggestions for future shows, please send an email to thanksforreadingpodcast at gmail.com.